Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Real Lives Untold podcast with myself, Trina O'Connor. And myself, Sarah O'Connor. We are focusing on all things crime and human interest. We're creating a space for people to tell their stories, the raw, unedited version. In this episode of Real Lives Untold, we speak to Lee Marks, who's an author and an advocate for victims of domestic abuse. Lee talks about his own personal experience and his support guide for male victims of domestic abuse called Break the Silence. He encourages more men to seek support. Well, Trina, we've had... A number of women on in relation to their experiences of domestic abuse and we really wanted I suppose for the purpose of fairness and balance to talk to male victims of domestic abuse because a lot of the 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 organizations involved I suppose feel that when you say the words domestic abuse that the first image that comes to mind is that women are the victims And so we are speaking to Lee Marks this evening. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important, Sarah, because we hear a lot about gender based violence. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Automatically, people think it's just women. However, what we've seen in the last number of years is the change in dynamics within families. So, for example, you'll see a lot more professional women that we wouldn't have seen before. So that gives them a certain power dynamic within the home. And in unfortunate situations where domestic um, violence is prevalent, that kind of power dynamic can yeah. be very demasculating on men yeah. and sometimes can escalate into domestic violence. And, and we're so lucky to be joined by Lee today to talk mm. to us from that perspective. So, um, Lee, you have a book, haven't you? Uh, Break the Silence. Maybe you might speak to us a little bit about your book um, and then we'll, we'll get into the conversation about how you got involved. Yeah. Um, th- first of all, thanks for having me here. Um, it's, a, it's, it's always great to be able to talk about the experiences that I've had, certainly some of the men that I've worked with as well. So yeah, uh, my book, uh, Break the Silence, Support Guide for Male Victims of Domestic Abuse. Um, it's been it's been published from a, a proper publishing agent now for just over a year. Um, it's something we tried to do when we first wrote it between myself and my friend Josh um just give you a bit of background I, I worked in the field of domestic abuse for three and a half years um kind of fell into it by accident after discovering that that i was a victim myself uh, i never recognized it as domestic abuse and actually when someone said to me oh i'm running a group for domestic abuse against men i laughed and that's you know that's the reaction that, that mm-hmm. i've seen time and time again and you know my my automatic well, domestic abuse is something that women suffer not men Mm. But, you know, sort of doing that 
Uh, I did that for a number of years and then I, I took a break. I went back to do what I've done for many years and I work within substance misuse. And uh, I sat down with with my partner that I'm married to now with, with, with children uh, and we happened to stumble on the BBC documentary uh, Abused by My Girlfriend, The Ideal Story. Um, and it made me really upset actually watching it um, because it brought back a lot of memories, a lot of memories for the men that I've worked with. And actually, I was I was quite upset that nothing had changed, even after a you know a period of what was eight years, nothing was any different, and it was still exactly the same. Uh, it was actually my wife that now that challenged me. She said, "Well, you know, you've got enough knowledge, do something about it." And I'm like, "But I'm one little voice. What you know? What, what can I possibly do?" Um, but I, I sat and I wrote everything that I could think of, and when I finished it, I sort of sat there and looked and thought, "I've got a book here," and. Uh, I asked my friend Josh Munro, who he's a qualified idfer, so I thought, who better? Uh, so I asked him to have a look at it, and he took it away for the weekend. And when I saw him on the Monday morning, he he was like, mate, I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. He said, I've made some suggestions because some stuff in there that, to be quite honest, if you published, you'd get into trouble. I was like, great, I'm going to ask you to have a look at it. Um, and we put it out on Amazon to start with, with, with the aim of, you know, if we can help one person, that's it done. Um, little did we expect that in that first month alone, we would sell over a hundred copies and get inundated with emails from people asking for advice for us. So we, we kept it on there for a while. And then out of the blue, when we thought, you know, Amazon's the way to go. Then Macaulay came along and said, we're really interested in your book. Um, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. They, they gave me a publishing deal. Uh, I sent the book away with them for a year until it got to the point where they said, right, there's your release date and it's just it's just been unbelievable still it's it's we get emails from all over the world from people that have picked it up now and men that were just like wow thank you so much because it is the first ever properly published book for for male victims and so one of the things that your book deals with in detail is the tactics of abuse by female perpetrators can you tell us a little bit about that, maybe examples of that and how maybe it differs from uh, abuse by male perpetrators? It is the same in, in the same way that, that female victims suffer. It, it's all the gaslighting. It's your fault. If you did, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't have done that. You know, I knew that my relationship with my ex wasn't great. Um, and, you know, when I came away, I thought, you know, it, it's me. It's, it's, it's me that's caused this. I, I'm not, I shouldn't have a relationship. I destroy everything. I'm no good for anything. I just had no value whatsoever. And when I went into the group for men and the whole purpose was that I was going to just sit and watch, just have a look and see how it worked. And as soon as I got in there, just into some of these men's experiences, I was just blown away. Mm-hmm. And within the group, the, the, the chap that was running it at the time, he pulled out a gender neutral version of the Duluth power and control wheel. And it broke it down into, into different types of behavior, like physical, emotional. Um, and I was watching these men just ticking the examples that were on there. I, I, I didn't know what to say. Uh, and the chap that was running the group, um, he have a go you know have a look at what's there tick any off join in with the groups best way to learn so I looked at it and you know being all cocky and brash and went well I have no children with a big line through that one but then I started looking at emotional and what I found is I was ticking absolutely everything that was on there 
And by the time I got through all the different categories, it was like my world had just fallen out from underneath me. And he looked at me and he was just like, are you okay? And I, I couldn't find words. I could, all I could do was shake my head. And it was like just seeing some of these tactics, seeing them on paper and then being able to go, wow, she did that. And I spoke to him about it. And when I said what I'd read and what I'd experienced, he went, mate, you were a victim of domestic abuse. And just to hear those words and to be able to understand them, it's like this big cloud I've been carrying for years. Just it's like it disappeared and I didn't know who I was. Um, so that's the way I approached the book. I wanted it. I wanted it to be an education. I wanted to share other men's experiences within these categories. I mean, we hear about physical abuse, um, and when you, you're absolutely right. When people talk about domestic abuse, you know, the first thing that comes up is, is is a man's physical violence towards a woman, and that's natural because for a long time, we, when we talked about it, it was domestic violence, and it was it, it was always and still is largely in that way I've, I've worked with men who you know when you talk about using weapons well, lit cigarettes flicked in someone's face so they burn all around their eye that's still physical abuse mm-hmm. we had a gentleman i worked with who when i was when it was referred to me for some support he was currently led in a hospital bed after being a sole buyer's partner with a stiletto that she'd embedded so far into his chest when she hit him to undergo life-saving surgery Yet these things aren't talked about. You know, when you move away from the the physical side of it, I deliberately don't start with that because that's what a lot of people picture. I, I start with a lot more of the emotional side of things. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about name calling, you know, I've had people say, oh, come on, seriously, name calling? If that's all you're going to throw out that you men suffer, that's pathetic. But if you're called certain things day after day, week after week, year after year, it massively impact your emotional well-being. And and this, Lee, this unpicking of you as a person, when you come to the realisation that you've been a victim of this, where do you go from there? How did you start in your recovery um, in building yourself back up into having high self-esteem and then being able to do this fabulous thing, which is reach out and support other people who very much are hidden um, because this this type of gendered violence against males by females is very much hidden in so many societies. What work did you have to do to put yourself back together again? I think I was quite lucky in some aspects because um, I, I was a young person's worker and I was offered this opportunity to be able to work with a group of, of male victims. Um, the, the the chap that was running it at the time, he was he was looking for someone to help him to work alongside him with the group. So, you know, we sat for a good many hours afterwards, and you know, to some degrees, and I've told him this before, you know, he he probably saved my life because I had such low self esteem before I met my partner who I'm with now. I, I had many a time I didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I had many a time, you know, I thought about ending it. I had many a time when I was in that relationship that I thought about ending it. Um, and just hear him say, do you know what? Stop, stop thinking like that because that's what she did to you. That's not you. Now, what we need to do is is to find out who you is. But, you know, you know, you kind of forget who you are because you changed into a completely different person. But what he allowed me to do is to to start finding myself and well, not not finding myself, but redefining myself by being able to firstly help him to run the group 
and then he moved on to work for the police um, and I took over running the program. So, you know, I was the mayor coordinator for for, for Wuxia where I live. Um, and that just allowed me to go from strength to strength. It allowed me to recreate myself to be that voice for all those men that I was coming across that, you know, didn't have a voice, didn't feel able to speak up, didn't feel able to come forward and didn't recognize a lot of the behaviors they faced. It is something that is so humbling to sit in a room and watch a group of men discover, you know, these behaviors that they face that they just thought, well, this is what it is, actually is domestic abuse. Yeah. And seeing, you know, seeing them come to that realization for a lot of them falling apart because, you know, they, they didn't recognize it. But, you know, being that person then to help them start rebuilding their self with different techniques, different ways of coping and actually being a voice for them with ongoing situations that were still going on. Yeah. Um, that, that gave me a massive basis for, for what I do today. Yeah. You know, I still do a full-time job, but the evenings I'm on calls, I'm on emails to men that are still coming to me for help and advice now. And so during the pandemic, I'm sure you saw a huge number of, and are experienced a huge number of, of reports of domestic abuse against males. And that people might be very surprised to know that, a third of victims of domestic violence in the UK anyway, we're not sure yet if it's, if it's mirrored here, uh, are male. Yeah. Um, it's a third based on, based on statistics. Um, I don't want to be the one to say it, but, you know, there are lots of us that are saying it based on research going on all the time now. We, we believe that number to be a lot higher because we, we talk about why don't men report? Why don't men come forward? Why don't we talk about it? And, there's a phrase that's banded an awful lot of, oh, well, men don't speak out because of toxic masculinity. I don't, I don't buy into that. I don't buy into that at all because actually I think, you know, to say oh, they're, they're, they're too much of a man to come out and say, oh, I've been abused by my partner. You need to go deeper because actually, you know, during research, not only that I've done, but other people have done around men's experiences are coming forward to speak to you know, the police, for one example, about what they've suffered, they haven't had a great response. Yeah. You know, for me, myself, I, I recently completed a master's degree and it was on the police and I titled it How Poor Hindrance. And of all the men interviews who came forward that wanted to share their experience, not one man could say, I found the police a help. They were a hindrance. But there is there is major issues at the moment in the UK with the police forces in so many areas, so it's it's not surprising, unfortunately, to hear that. Um, you know your organisation that you work with. So you said you work full time, and you also work supporting people. Do you think that that's been part of your healing? Is there healing in that for you, Lee? And and, and what what would you say to people who are are in the position that you were in um all them years ago? What would be the first step that they could take because if the police force, for example, isn't isn't the best place when somebody's so vulnerable, what what kind of steps would you say to people who are listening to this, who it may be the first time that they've realised themselves? What would you say they should do? I think for the majority, if not all, of of the men that I've worked with, um, what what they've come to realise to say is, do you know what? I knew something wasn't right. I just, you, know, you have that gut feeling. If you've got that gut feeling, trust it. You know, if someone comes out to you and says, are you a victim of domestic abuse? As a man, 
your automatic reaction is no because of how society looks at men and what's expected of men now there are some great organizations out there that you can phone you know here in the uk we have mankind obviously there's men that men's aid in ireland who Mm -hmm. are fantastic as well you know you're not going to be ridiculed you're not going to, to to face you know, they're, they're laughing at you because you're a man wanting to explore these behavior. These people are there to, to listen. These people are here to to listen to your experience and to give you that advice because do you know what? Once you unpick those things that you see on the surface, that's when you can start going a little bit deeper and those things that you never imagined suddenly become very clear that they were abusive and actually those little things on the surface fed down to much deeper things that kept you in that position that you've probably been stuck in for quite a long time. You mentioned Men's Aid Ireland there and we have been engaging with them and they have experienced a massive spike in the number of calls over the last number of years that they've received and over 90% of those reports involve uh, female on male violence. Is that something that you're seeing in the UK as well? Absolutely. Uh, there's there's been a massive massive spike in it and, and it's again it's one of those things that men don't want to speak only about um being hit by their partner i do a lot of work with other organizations that that are seeing the same thing as well what we hear an awful lot coming out is when you've got a male victim that the majority of male victims are um from same-sex relationships that a lot of male victims are not really victims. It's just that the partner has reached the end of their tether with the abuse that they're suffering from that man. And it's it's just not true. It's not true at all. I would say that in all my working within domestic abuse, um, obviously being for a, being being in a generic service working with any men, uh, I only in my home there supported two men from same sex relationships. The rest were victims from female perpetrators. Now I know the figures are quite high in same sex relationships as well because that's what my friend does uh, as a job on a daily basis. Uh, he works within the LGBTQIA community, um, and he would say, "Yeah, we we do get an awful lot, but the majority of men, despite what people try and put out." are victims to female perpetrators. Mm-hmm. And and do you think in that situation, Lee, that that's the demasculization de- that men feel when they come out to say it was actually a woman that hit me? Do you think that that could be something that stops people coming forward? I think the majority of what stops people from coming forward is, you know, when you've got these situations like this, predominantly a lot of the people that I've spoken to will say, do you know what, for my first portal call, was to disappear on my mobile phone and have a look on the internet and see what I should do. And then the first thing you see is all the negative experiences are coming forward and reporting it. You know, we've had, we've had men that have said things like, you know, I went to the police to try and report it. And the first police officer said to me, well, what did you do to make her do that? I've had a situation where a, a man was being abused physically for years He was getting deep gouges from nails down his chest. His his shirt was ripped. He was hit with a TV. He was hit with a fridge. And every time the police attended his property, they took him to a place of safety and nothing ever happened to her. And when you've got these sort of things, a man's not going to want to come forward. I don't want to go to the police and tell them that I've been assaulted by my partner for them to take me to a place of safety. And then I've got to go back there afterwards Mm -hmm. and nothing's happened to her. It gives them an air of instability that they can get away with it. Because unfortunately, and I don't know what things are like there, 
the training the police receive here is very gender focused it okay. focuses on female victim male operator and if you're training police officers in that way and sending them out on the street they attend a domestic incident what's the first thing they're looking for mm-hmm. so in the majority of cases when when men go to the police are they receiving that type of response I'll give you some of the responses that I got because I made sure I pulled up from from my own research some of the response and I've got permission from all the men here. Um, This is a perfect example. The quote I got was, take one occasion. I called them after being choked by my ex-wife. They finally came several hours later and found me at the end of the street, sat on a corner as I was too afraid to go home. Oh, God. Hours it took them after an assault, and their excuse was that they were short-staffed and that my life wasn't at risk. I asked them why they perceived I wasn't at risk, and they said because I was a man. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's just one of many, many examples. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah. And, and you did your master's, didn't you, in, um, was it understanding domestic and sexual violence? And, um, and did you, when you were looking for research to back up your, your, your master's dissertation, did you find difficulty finding um, research around um, male victims of domestic violence? It, it's out there. There is research there that you can access. I, I was quite lucky because having connections within mankind and having worked in the field and I started my master's after, after doing my book. So um, I had lots of different connections from when I was doing that. So I, I was able to find it. Um, there's not as much. Um, certainly some of the research is, is quite shocking. Um, I have to admit, uh, and I've admitted this all along, when I went in to do my master's, I was quite close-minded um, about, you know, everything to do with tick abuse because I, I'd always focused on men. I had supported women, but I'd had some pretty bad experiences since writing my, my book with um, certainly people that would call themselves feminists with threats that came through uh, and experiences that, that I had. 
But one of the biggest things about doing my master's that I discovered being taught by someone who, you know, the only way to describe it, pure feminist, she believed in what feminism originally was about and was equality for women. Um, we had a bit of a laugh at the end of it because she said, well, the one thing I can take from this is that I've made you believe that in this truest form, you are a feminist, Lee. And I can't disagree with her. <laughs> Good to wow. have you on board. Yeah, Good to absolutely. have you on board, Lee. <laughs> um, I suppose uh, you, you mentioned that you have children and obviously that's uh, very personal. But do, do do you have boys or girls and do you think your experiences have influenced how you parent? Would you maybe speak to that without going into detail, I suppose, of personal stuff? It has had some impact. It has had some impact. You know, I, I grew up in an abuse home as well. Um, you know, despite some some members of my family not willing to uh, admit that it ever happened, um, certainly from our childhood, uh, you know, it continued. Uh, I, I turned 16. So, you know, once you turn 16, it, it goes from being what would be classed as, as child abuse to um, domestic abuse. And when you grow up with that sort of influence, there are times that I find myself saying something and I'm like, oh, sounded just like him there and it can really make you stop and take a look at yourself and it it's it, it you know it has made me look at myself as a parent i think certainly with my children i have you know i have a, a boy and a girl at the moment i have a second daughter on the way that's, that's due literally within weeks wow um but with my son i encourage him to his emotions you know i i coach a football team and you see some of the boys getting injured and you can see the tears coming and you can see the dads going, come on, son, suck it up, get on with. But, you know, with my son, if I see that, I go over and I say, do you know what, son, it's, it's okay. If you want to cry, you cry. You know, it's n- nothing to be embarrassed about to show how you feel and show your emotions because actually it's much worse not to. And I think that's that's given us a, a, a much better relationship is, is sort of father and son. So I think it does impact on your parenting. And hopefully that shift in parenting nowadays will change the whole culture in the next generation. That is the hope. That is the hope. And I think earlier sort of education is the key. Uh, You know, it's something I've always said it needs to happen. Uh, I I work with some organisations that actually go into schools and they deliver healthy relationship um, training within the schools. And you hear a lot about, you know, we, we need to look at the way um, boys behave towards girls, uh, but it's got to be the other way around because, you know, over here, the NSPCC, when they did some research, it showed that I think it was 25% of girls under the age of 18 uh, had suffered violence by their male partner, but also 18% of boys had suffered physical violence from their female partner. So it just shows that how important having that approach within schools to be able to, you know what, this isn't acceptable behaviour. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just so important. And and I suppose on, on reflection, Lee, um, when you look back at your childhood and then the relationship, and it sounds like it was one of your first relationships um, where you experienced this violence. I suppose many people would signpost that you may have been desensitised to some of these abusive behaviours because of your childhood. And that education piece in schools, 
that's the key, really, isn't it? That early intervention. Um, is there is there anything that your organisation does to support, or is it within within football clubs, or, or do they do stuff within schools, um, nationwide in the UK? We ourselves, we we don't. Uh, there are organisations that are commissioned to. I think one of the best ones that we've got that. I've ever worked with, and I do do a lot of work with, is the Paul Laval Foundation, who are based um, in the Wirral in Liverpool. Uh, they actually go in schools. They got a contract to go in and deliver that sort of education, and they are absolutely fantastic at it because the whole foundation itself uh, was set up in memory of, of Paul Laval, who was a male victim who was killed in the hands of his partner. Um, the organisation was first set up to you know, be able to support his children, support his family. And now it is massive. They, they've they got, you know, support groups for men, one-to-walk counsellors, uh, and they, they just do so much to raise awareness and in, in, in getting the message heard uh, and making sure that they are a voice for the side of it that don't get much of a chance to be heard. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what goes on in school, I don't think there is a lot of education around what is a healthy relationship. And I suppose, Lee, it, it can happen at any age as well. And I'd imagine that in terms of the spectrum of of men coming for, to you for advice and help can range from, you know, early teens, possibly or late teens to well into the 80s or 90s. Well, yeah, we've had we've had every age group. We've had quite young first relationships. Um, the majority of the cases we get the moment for within sort of the mid twenties to the mid forties age range. Um, the hardest part of that is when there's children involved as well, because, you know, there is such a high percentage of, of, of suicide are men. And we know from research that's gone on about 18% of, of men who experience domestic abuse actually at some point did make an attempt at their own life. Mm-hmm. Now, they're those that we know about that didn't actually succeed, but what about the ones that, that did? And it goes all the way up to old age gentlemen. We've, we've, I think the oldest we've ever supported was 85. And it was because he was, you know, when we spoke to him, we were trying to identify all these different behaviours that he faced. He said, but, you know, this this is the way I was brought up. I, I, I can't you know, this, this can't be domestic abuse. This, this, you know, this is what my, my mother was like with my father. Mm-hmm. This is what my grandfather and my grandmother's relationship was. This, this is normal to me. And it's just being able to get people to see that and not just see it as what is, Do you know, it can be very, very difficult that if someone's experienced that through many generations to be able to say, but, but it's not right. Yeah. yeah, and I suppose that's the first part, isn't it? It's about identifying that the normalisation of abusive behaviours needs to be interrupted, and then people need to be guided into that more positive, you know, role models. I suppose because we do follow our role models. And um, I think what I'm taking for this conversation, um, and I hope our listeners are hearing is that the first thing that people need to do is just look for support because there is support out there, organisations like your own and Men's Aid in Ireland. And I think that that first step, um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not going to happen overnight that you're going to be able to heal because you've been on this journey for a number of years. 
but you can heal. That's what I'm hearing you say. You can heal and you can change. Would, would that be your experience with other victims as well? 100%. 100%. It, it, it's not an overnight fix because domestic abuse ultimately is trauma. You know, with, with physical abuse, you know, the scars heal. Emotional abuse, it can take a long time because what you've got to remember is with, with trauma, there will be triggers and it's about finding ways of being able to cope with those triggers. I've now been with a partner that I'm with now and she's absolutely fantastic. I've been with her for 10 years, but still now, even 10 years into what is a loving, healthy relationship, sometimes there's things that just from nowhere bring up a reaction from something that happened to me all those years ago. Mm -hmm. And it can really set me back a little bit, but she's really great because she recognizes that and she says, you know what, it's okay. It's okay, this is natural. I know why this is happening. You know why this is happening. And there's like little, you know, breathing techniques and things like that. I have my own ways when when I get a little bit of flashback from things that have happened, and it does happen, that I've got my own ways of dealing with it. I've got things that I will do. I have what I call positive mood shifters that would just take me from being in that place where all of a sudden I traumatize to actually feeling okay again and being able to cope um, normally. And, you know, it's one of the greatest joys is helping other people to be able to find that way of being able to just help themselves back to a more comfortable state of being. And it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. I think one of the biggest things, certainly when you're talking about male victims that, that men struggle with, Certainly when it comes to that lack of being is is false allegations being made against them because yeah. it's probably the biggest thing that ever comes up when we talk to people. And, you know, there's been lots of efforts, certainly in our country, to debunk false allegations and saying, you know, to say that females are making false allegations is damaging to female victims because actually if you look at the charge rate for false allegations... It was about three or four year period. There were eight people charged with false allegations. Mm -hmm. But what they also don't make clear when they tell you that is that with the police system, they only have six months from initial report made to them to prove a false allegation to be able to bring a charge and investigating any crime takes a lot longer than six months. So that one's set up to fight from the off. So, you know, again, to, to men out there that have had that fear put over them of, yeah, but if you say anything, you do anything, I say that you do this and they're going to believe me because mm. I'm a woman. Yeah, I can imagine that. not the case at all. Yeah. They can make that report, but investigations do go through. They do look into it properly. And if there's not the evidence there to support it, it won't go any further. So don't live with that fear. Yeah, so it, frustrating. Yeah, it, it's another tactic, Sarah. It's mm. the, it's the weaponization of children in a relationship yeah. sometimes, um, because even if it is proved that's a false allegation, it's still out there, and which I is think, very common yeah. in this type of abuse, isn't it? Yeah. Massively common in this type of abuse, and you know, talking about the weaponization of children, it it's one of the biggest things I've ever seen when it when I work with male victims I know it's the same with female victims as well mm -hmm. you know the use of those children is it, it's it's shocking and the way that they do it and yeah it, it, it would be remiss of me to say that you know I've I've worked with men who have taken their own life because of what's been done through their children 
and to mm-hmm. take their children away from them and deny contact through the false allegations. You know, me and my colleague, we were the ones that one man who took his own life wrote to to tell us what he'd done before he did it. And it was that letter coming to us that was able to alert the police that, that unfortunately, we, we had a death on our hands of someone and the mm-hmm. reasons why they did it. Unfortunately, when you get to that point and you don't see that, you, you know, you don't see any way out, despite the evidence that was put in that letter, there was nothing that could be done about it. He's no longer here to argue that case and all it takes is one denial. Well, I didn't do that. Well, there's nobody there to, to argue that case anymore. And you've then got children that are growing up one parent. You know, it does happen a lot. And I know that there's a lot of victims out there that say, Do you know what, my life's not worth living without my children. But I say to them, just just keep trying, you know, keep taking the steps that you've got to take. If if you write to them, keep a copy of that letter because one day they'll come looking for you. If you can show them everything that you did and every attempt that you made to make contact, it's not too late to have a relationship. And I know that doesn't help in the short term, but there's, there's always tomorrow. You're a real trailblazer there, Lee. You really are. And you were so brave to write that book. And thankfully, you have moved on and you it sounds like you have a great partner and you have children and another one on the way. So congratulations for that. Many people, I suppose, aren't so fortunate. It's it's something that I never thought I was going to have. After after the abuse I went through, I, I, I never thought I'd have children. I never thought I'd have the happy life. I'd, I never thought I'd have the things, you know, the things you see on TV. I remember sitting and watching, you know, films like It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas and just thinking to myself, what would I give to have that? And thinking I'd never have it. And to to be given that, it's it's the greatest gift my wife could ever have given me. And, you know, it's not going to happen for everybody, but we've we've got to have faith. We've got to have that belief that after, you know, you can recover, you can come through the other side, you can have those things that you're looking for. But it's about finding yourself because once you find yourself, and once you love yourself, you can give everything to another person. And I, th- I think with the support of organisations like yours, Lee, that support people to then sa- starting to trust themselves, build their self-esteem, build boundaries. Yeah. Organisations like yours are so important. And um, we're so grateful to have you on here Thanks today. So much. Thank you. Because this is, is a, a tricky subject for a lot yeah. of people to talk about. And we're so grateful for your honesty and for your advocacy for people. And we just appreciate you coming on. Thanks again, Lee. Thanks, Lee. Anyone who's been impacted by the issues in this episode can contact Men's Aid Ireland on 01554 or go to the website mensaid.ie. You can contact us on social media at Real Lives Untold. Our email address is reallivesuntold at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to hear this season's episodes every Wednesday. You can listen on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.